Are you ready to turn your potential into performance? If so, you're in the right place. This is the Coach Brew Show, and here's your host, John Brubaker. And we're live with Steve Colfer at Cabrini University. Uh, Steve is probably, this is my favorite way to refer to you, Steve, probably the winningest coach in any sport that you never heard of. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible, and simply because you're doing this at the small college level. A, he's got a uh, 7.798 GPA uh, winning percentage, which ranks among top 10 coaches in all divisions, the NCAA and lacrosse. So uh, how about them apples? Yeah. Um, 23 years here at Cabrini. Uh, after uh, your first national championship, first of many, that's my prediction, uh, you, I wrote about this, and I had enough people ask me, do you think Coach Colfer would talk to me? Mm. Like, well, he'd probably have to go through his agent, his publicist, <laughs> you know. Big time now. Yeah, right. But, yeah, uh, we decided instead of just individual conversations, we'd do an event. And knowing how hard it is to get people off their couch and come to an event, we had a dozen people inquire and verbally say, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. That's great. And now we have a nice, small, intimate roundtable of five of us. Perfect. And here we are. So what we're going to do is uh, I've introduced you. Yes. And... A little closer to the mic there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, you've done all these press conferences, yeah. don't you know? Well, I, I expected higher quality microphones, but then I remembered who I was doing exactly. It with and, yeah, uh, I should so have known better. The other thing you should know is that we don't edit the podcast because I believe in 100% authenticity. And by 100% authenticity, what I mean is. I'm too lazy to edit it and too cheap to pay someone else to. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll pass the mic around, let people introduce themselves, um, and then I got a couple questions sort of prime the pump before these extreme introverts yeah. uh, think of something. Great. Um, so yours, Brulee, here. Yes. You just heard from Coach Colfer, and now I'm going to pass the mic over to Adam Todd before uh, he hacks up a lung. Adam Todd, uh, Cabrini College, now Cabrini University, uh, class of 1997. I'm the head women's coach at SUNY Canton. What sport? Head women's lacrosse coach at SUNY Canton. There's only one sport at SUNY Canton. That matters. <laughs> I'm uh, Matt Thresher, the assistant lacrosse coach at Alvernia University. Graduated at uh, from Norwich University in 2018. Carl Haas, head men's lacrosse coach, Alverna University. And the most serious man in the world. <laughs> Carl's very serious. Until you get to know him, then uh, he shifts gears into crazy Carl mode, if you know him. Will we see that today? You might see that later, okay. after the, the mics are off. Okay. But, so, uh, let's jump into this, man. We've... Uh, We've been chatting things up, telling war stories before we get started here. Um, I'm just going to dive right in. Sure. So success leaves clues. doesn't happen by accident. You've had 19 consecutive conference championships, 18 straight NCAA tournament appearances. I think everyone wants to know, what's the secret sauce? 
I mean, I think it's, it's you know, I, I think I've said this a number of times, it's surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, you know, I think it goes to, and, and, and in the beginning, it's, it's, it's finding one person, right? One person that you can share a, a, a vision with or, or a belief with or a hope with, you know, and from that it grows, right? But I think if you come into any organization and try to convince everyone in, in, in instantaneously of a vision, it, 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 it most likely won't work, you know I mean? So I... I think it's you, you smart. You start at the smallest level, and you find one person, or two people, that that have similar um, similar views in terms of what what you're working towards. You know, and I, and I think that um, that is in, important. Whether it be in, uh, in my case, an athletic director or an assistant coach or, or a captain or, or 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 anyone, you know, that you come in in, in contact in, in building an athletic program. Um, and then from that it grows, you know, and, and then it becomes a group vision and that group vision then attracts people and, and, and attracts um, people want to be, you start telling stories and, and the story of, of what you are and what you want to be. And then people decide they opt in of that or they opt out. And I think that's, you know, really what our story here has been about is about just, you know, starting to you know, get people to believe in, in, and again, in the early days, it wasn't winning a national championship. It was just continuing to grow a program that had recently begun before we got here. You know, Adam, who's sitting here, was on, on those first year's teams. And luckily enough, people that came before me had the courage and the fortitude to, to dig in and say, no, we want to start men's lacrosse at Cabrini, and we think it's going to be a successful partnership and match. The game was just starting to kind of grow and really start to take off and was starting to break out of those little pockets that it had been in regionally. Uh, and, and someone, again, Pete, I don't know where the conversation originated or how it came to um, fruition, but luckily for me, it did. Um, Is it fruition? I don't know, isn't it? I, I always thought it was fruitification. <laughs> uh, I had a student say that to me once. Um, so when uh, when's this all going to come to fruitification? <laughs> tomato, tomato, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you, you talk about the early years, and then like you know, you can't make everyone buy into the vision. Uh, I think a lot of times people might be reluctant to help the wrong people opt out. How's that for like it's 2019? I'm trying to be really politically correct here. Yeah, help the wrong people opt out. Uh, I think you create an expectation that you was believe that, in. Was that PC enough for academia? Yeah, I think so. And if you know that they're, if, you know, maybe they surprise you and meet the ac expectation, yeah. but if, if your suspicions are right or you're, they won't, you know what I mean? And then you're not the bad guy, you know? Um, you've created the expectation, whether it be as a student, whether it be as an athlete, whether it be as, 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 as a young person. Um, and we're not talking in a, about an unattainable result, you know what I mean? I don't think that's fair. But I think you start to create a standard, and, and, and if they are not living up to that, then the wrong people will opt out, whether it be, you know, in any, in any phase of, of your organization. Your first year here as an assistant, yeah. do you remember the roster size? I think, I, 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 my mind, it's 16, and, and I think that, that that was the number of guys that we had. I, yeah. I'm pretty much, I'm pretty sure. I remember, um, I, I think it was right in that number. I know it exists somewhere here in our archives, but I think I have 16 in my head, but it, it was somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. And there are probably a couple who, like, not everyone gets along perfectly on any team, and not everyone sticks from start to finish. Sure. You know, um, so even, like, when numbers are low and you almost feel like – the analogy I like to use is, like, 
the the passengers have the guns. Mm-hmm. You know, the pilot doesn't always have the guns, right. and you feel like you're at the mercy of, you know, um, n- you know numbers and depth chart and worrying about that. Yeah. So even like back then, you know, how do you sort of balance that in your mind? Like, there's a standard, and you got to play the long game here and not focus necessarily on this season, but like setting the right tone and cultural expectation in the future. Well, I think it, it. We were very fortunate to inherit a group of young men that were excited um, to continue to be playing, and and um, so that was that was key, right? That was a key ingredient, you know. And they were going to show up and, and practice and play, um, whether they had to coach themselves, you know. So that that was a key ingredient. There was already a genuine, you know, enthusiasm in the room. Um, we needed to kind of harness that and build off that. That first year was all about recruiting, you know what I mean, um, and just getting more people interested. What your selling slash recruiting um, is a little bit of an unknown at that point but what we were really doing was selling an opportunity to continue to play the game Um, and we kind of like you know canvassed a lot of the local schools um, found you know a a talented group of young men surprisingly late that um, you know admissions and enrollment cycles were just a little bit different back then you could go out and find seniors you weren't verbally committed in seventh grade? <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, you could find seniors playing in March, April, and May of their senior year who still hadn't made a decision on schools yeah. uh, and watched a lot of high school games and sat on, you know, the fences and, and waited for them to be released by their coach and, you know, waited, you know, sheepishly or awkwardly as a first-year head coach, not knowing what to say, what to do, approach a family or a young man and, and, and just start, you know – talking, engaging, selling, whatever the word may be, recruiting. And sometimes it didn't go any further than that. Other times they were, you know, there was a little bit of an interest. uh, And we built off that. But, yeah, you have to kind of, you know, I look back at that now and and it seems so foreign to what we do now. Um, But um, it probably, you know, was the best lesson for me. You know, that that, that, uh, being able to just, spark a conversation to someone who's never seen me before or probably didn't know much about Cabrini College at the time or or nothing about the Cabrini College lacrosse program at the time yeah um and um that training that on the fly on the uh fly training was was probably critical and yeah you're never like completely ready no matter when you take that next step you're never completely ready for you know whether it's becoming a head coach or you know assistant moving up to associate whatever it is yeah Corporate America, same thing. You're never ready for that next promotion, as yeah. you'd like to be, at least. No, but so. who? But who's who's above you, right? Like yeah. you know, I mean, who's mentoring you? Who's guiding you? You know, we were lucky here to have Coach Zeke, who was our AD, who had yep. a nose, and he was a legendary basketball coach here, and he was also the AD, and he just had a way about him. You know what I mean? The first thing he ever taught me was RDOP, which was recruit daily yeah, or, or parish. parish. Yep. You know, and and that made sense to me um, because he had was, that he had that written on his phone. I believe it, you which know I thought I mean? was. We Those are the days where you actually time. use the phone yeah. to recruit all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, and and so to me, that his mentorship and, and his leadership and the fact that he was running a successful program yep. at the time, and I, I've said this a number of times, is, you know, we were able to kind of observe from a distance, watch what they were doing, yeah. seeing what was working here at Cabrini, and then applying it into our recruiting um, um philosophy or, or outreach, um, so to speak. Uh, and, um, it was, 
easy to learn from him, and they and they allowed us to learn from him and yeah. shadow him and those types of things. And I guess the nice thing is to have a model to see wherever yeah. you are. So if you're listening to this, you're like thinking, well, you know, I'm not a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I work in real estate or insurance or whatever. You need a model to see, and it's an inexpensive experience as opposed to learning the hard way, doing it all yourself. Um, so just kind of talking about culture and building off that, I want to pass the mic around and, uh, you know, everyone's kind of at a different point in their journey, uh, professionally with, with their coaching career, or, you know, if you're listening to this and your business career, perhaps. So, you know, we're just going to hear some questions from different kind of, uh, perspectives and people on different parts of their journey. Who would like to go first? Adam Todd. It's perfect because you're right next to me as I dribble coffee all over myself. I uh, had kind of a neat experience after I went, came down and watched the national championship game. And I was walking out of the stadium and actually ran into coach Zeke and went up and introduced myself. And I think he kind of recognized me, but you know, maybe recognized what my face used to look like (laughs) versus what it looks like now. But (laughs) he, uh, you know, I could see how proud he was of you and the team and knowing that he probably played, you know, a part in helping build that and get that going. Can you talk a little bit about some of the early partnerships early on? You know, you talk about sharing your vision, um, who you were able to, you know, find that small group to get going early on from maybe when you were an assistant and then when you became the head coach and, you know, how that led to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a couple of different layers, right? It's, it's, it was, um, coach Zeke, you know, and obviously, you know, the coach had hired me, coach Scarpello, who, who was the head coach after coach Marks who started the program, uh, here. And, um, and, um, and so, you know, having relationships with those two guys and then having some of the players, you know, some of the guys that were going to be here not only the first year but the next couple years and and having relationships with them. Um, You know, ironically, um, Joe Collins, who's going into the Hall of Fame tonight here at Cabrini University, um, was on one of those teams. Now, he was a senior. um, But relationships with, like, Joe Collins and and, and Kevin Camp, and and, and I'll talk about Kevin, obviously, um, because he not only was a player on that first team but has been stayed on and been on my coaching staff ever since. So the connection to the original days of the program, right, so he could give me – you have to know – to know where you're going, you have to know where you've been. Uh, you know, and is that I'm, a talking head song? Is that I don't know that you're dating yourself no when you're, you're, you're yeah. going. Uh, I don't know you where need I've to get been. A more updated material, you know, you're losing membership by, a, ha- by hashtag a millennial problems. <laughs> yeah, you don't know the talking uh, heads. <laughs> so please continue. Yeah, absolutely. And so to me, that influences that the present, that connection, and then influences who we are. And those connections are, are critical. You know, uh, we talk about alumni networking and all those things, but at that point, we didn't really have alums, right? You know what I mean? So we had to, we had to stay connected with the guys who were on the team and 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 the guys who were one year out and two year out. They were a huge resource for us. Um, and then the other people here at a small college university setting, you know, admissions directors and uh, fundraising people and 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 faculty. You know, those relationships. When I talk to young coaches, you can't stay in your coaching office. You can't just go out and recruit, and you just can't go to practice and be successful on a small college campus. You cannot do it. Um, you have to be out and about, and you have to eat in the cafeteria, and you have to walk across campus, and you have to, if they give you the opportunity, maybe to teach a class. You know, you have to network yourself into that college 
community at multiple levels. And I think that goes for any organization, right, to be truly successful. Um, and that relationship outside of just being a successful coach is, is critical because you're going to call upon that relationship in, in many different ways um, throughout your career. Um, and um, so I, I think, you know, building those relations, those foundational relationships in the early years with people that not only were mentors, but we're also resources, and we're helping people, giving us perspective on our small history our, our, um, was critical on where we were going to go in the next two or three years and then ultimately over the next 23 years, you know, so. Yeah, my best advice has always been, like, if you want to send a message to your faculty, so if you're a coach listening to this, you want to send a message to the faculty, let your assistants run practice one day and show up at the faculty meeting, which is usually in the afternoon after classes mm -hmm. have ended, and just sit in there, introduce yourself, just see what they're up to. Mm -hmm. And they're going to notice, it, like, wait, isn't it's 4.30. Shouldn't yeah. he be at practice? Yeah. No, actually, this is a priority for me. I'm yeah. here, you know. Yeah. I think you just that's the way you win people over and too often, you know, it's like bank account. You got to be making, it's a relationship bank account. You got to be making deposits before you can ever make a withdrawal. Yeah. Right? I mean, and we all get in a habit, we get siloed, you know, and, and uh, it can happen at the smallest organizations and it can happen at big organizations. And, um, you know, and, and those silos can be very dangerous to, to the short-term and long-term growth of any, of any culture. Uh, and, um, you know, I was very fortunate that the people that mentored me here were not siloed and they were out of that. And I really probably learned from that model and uh, continued to try to put that in practice as much as I can, you know, here. So coach, um, certainly the, the, there's a lot of talk these days about kids and how generations have changed and whatnot. And as uh, Coach Bruce said at the very beginning, you've been here now for, for a number of years. You've had a lot of success. Have you noticed, uh, it, I guess it's a several-part question, did did you at some point notice within the last five or six years like that the kids, quote-unquote, started changing? And whenever it is that you did notice that, if you did, what sort of things have you have you done to try to make those different, you know, different connections with different generations of, of students who come in here. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we kind of talk about a little a lot in our uh, coaches room, you know, about old school and new school, right, athlete, you know, and we feel like, you know, and, and you try to identify those types of athletes, you know, old school athletes kind of respond, you know, in a different way, kind of when we came up, um, you know, um, in terms of top-down leadership, you know, everything comes from the top, everything is then put to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, you know, and, and everyone had their role within that. And new school doesn't necessarily jive with that completely, right? Um, and so everyone has a say, uh, everyone has an opinion, uh, mind matters. Everyone uh, gets a trophy. Right, you know, a little bit. I mean, I think that's that's a little cliche. I'm, ju you know I'm just I mean? stirring the pot. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, but at the same time, I think those trophies – try to drive participation and I think club sports in all industries have a lot to do with that right there's a huge you know probably 100 million dollar industry of club sports out there now across the country in, in sports and so that has influenced when I pay for something as a consumer I have an opinion right yeah. if I stay at a hotel if I rent a car if I buy a house I have an opinion and, and if, if it doesn't meet my standard then I'm gonna I'm gonna speak that and so club sports allows people to pay for a sporting experience and um, 
And if I don't like it, if I don't like the coaching, I don't like the practicing, I don't like the games, I, I speak my opinion and I move on or I get changed. Do you think that's changed the expectation because the, the club sport consumers, when I, mean, when I say consumers, I don't mean the athlete, I mean the parents are scratching the check for Johnny to yep. play club lacrosse or travel team or whatever. Yep. you think that's changed the expectation when they arrive on a college campus? Sure, and I think going back and, to Carl's question, yeah, I think it, it has influenced how kids have changed over the last five, six years, even probably further than that, uh, in that kind of mentality. But absolutely, that, that comes with them. Because some of these guys that we're recruiting are doing it not only in lacrosse, but they're playing AAU basketball, they're playing travel team soccer, you know, and that model is all they know. The model that I grew up with, that, that we played town rec, Right, we played. You were tried out for a high school team. Your backyard, you, but your yeah, backyard, your sure, that's yeah. where it started. But then, like you, if you weren't good enough, you didn't make it. You didn't have the ability to go try out for another club team or, or pay a different, a higher premium. Um, there wasn't ultimately a destination for you, you know. Um, and uh, and I think sure that that influences you know uh, in terms of that. I think and messaging that in the recruiting um, and creating the expectation is is and and where your program is in its in its is growth and its development or any organization is critical for you to constantly kind of assess that um and 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 what you are messaging in, in the upfront messaging uh, i think influences what their expectations are once they get to your program um in terms of hey we're in a growth mode we're, we're growing we're growing we're growing hey we're kind of leveled off now we're being more selective and in, in, in kind of strategically placing people into our organization and onto our rosters um uh and and i think that's an important uh mark of um demarcation for young people of like if you sell at, hey, we're in growth mode and we're bringing you in and you're going to be part of our exciting future and they get here and that message isn't mad up, you know, they're all of a sudden thinking, well, why am I the sixth string goalie? If we're in growth mode, there's going to be disconnect from day one. Uh, and it's, so it's, man, it's managing expectations, but making sure messaging is on point to as close as it can be without, you know, and the student athlete in our case has to be bought into that and understand that. But I think it's also in, in, intrinsically important that we're messaging the right way that influences how they're getting to our campuses and to our organization. So, um, and sometimes that's being cutting kids loose in the recruiting process for us and just saying, hey, it's not the right fit or we love you. And if it was last year or next year, we're probably taking you. But because of our roster right now, we don't have a spot for you. You know, and those are hard conversations to have. Um, but they're what's in the best interest of your program and probably in the best interest of that student athlete. So, so you'd mentioned, you know, the whole concept of buy in yeah. and messaging, all that. Like, I think it's more important today with millennials and Gen Z. And I keep getting them confused, which one's which. I think Gen Z is the younger ones, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, like the whole idea of cultivating a sense of ownership amongst team and staff. And you know, I've talked about this before. I think we talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. You know, like it's a, a society of renters. They rent everything. You know, they take an Uber. It's not mm -hmm. their car. A lot of people like car ownerships at like a, a low, all time low in our lifetime. Uh, they rent their music in the cloud. They don't own physical albums, CDs or anything. They rent storage space in the cloud. They mm -hmm. don't like, like what goes on a hard drive anymore? What? What mm -hmm. is that? Yeah, mm -hmm. like they're a society and an entire generation of renters. What are some of the things that you do, or some of the things you recommend leaders do to get their team members, whether it's an athletic team or you know corporate America employees, to kind of think like an owner 
and to take ownership in this age of renters. You know, or like think like you. How do you get your players or your staff to think like it's my program? Yeah, and really uh, kind of own the experience, the good of it and the bad of it. So I, well, I'll cite a recent example, and I don't know, you know, and tell me if this starts, you know, but I think identifying layers of leadership, right, is important, right? So I'll give a recent example of that. So last year we had a, a strong leadership group that ultimately, you know, graduated and left here with a national championship. And, and what we kind of have been telling our returning players and even talked to them about last year is a little bit towards the very end, maybe a day or two after the reality of the national championship and the game was over, but even so, over the summer and leading into this spring or this this fall and and um, school year, um, is the commitment that that group had to one another was as powerful as any group I've ever seen, and then that transcended and 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 was passed on to the people below them. Right, they had a strong commitment to one another. Uh, they had a shared vision, and, and so that 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 drove buy-in. Right, with the younger groups. Um, so now as we move on, you know, now we're into a new school year. We're moving forward. We have a whole new, and, you know, we, we lost some strong leaders. And we were debating, like, okay, who's our next layer of leadership? Where are we going to identify that? So last Friday, we, you know, as we were about to start um, practice on, on this past weekend for the, our fall season, we had our 14, fresh, or 14 um, seniors, I should say, up. Uh, upstairs in the classroom, our team room. And we were just going to have a talk to them about, a, you know, just kind of getting fall ball started right and creating tempo and creating culture because we really hadn't kind of been able to figure out, like, where our next group. We had an idea of who some of the leaders may be. And literally as we were walking up to that meeting, you know, I just felt like I had an idea, you know, of what we were going to do. And, and we had the meeting, and I spoke, and a couple of assistants spoke. And at the end, I said, listen, fellas, I said, you know, I talked and cited examples of kind of what we were looking at, and they understood. There was a lot of head shaking. I said, but here's the last part of this exercise. I said, in years past, we've had coaches help pick some captains. We've had a democratic vote. Everyone gets points, but, 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 but. We do it either at the end of fall or the beginning of spring. And I said, this is what we're going to do this Friday afternoon. It's about 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I said, there's 14 of you sitting here. You guys are in this room as long as it takes. You're going to decide. You're going to have a quorum here, and you're going to decide who our leaders are. And there's not going to be any hard feelings. You're going to decide. You're going to debate. You're going to, and if you are want to be a representation of our leadership group, fight for it. Don't leave this room without it. And if you're okay, and, and I said, feelings may get hurt, but they need to be mended by the time you leave this room. And you can be 10 minutes. It, maybe it's more evident to you guys than it is to us as coaches. Um, and Or maybe it's not. Maybe So I would say about 45 minutes later, maybe close to an hour, I get a knock on the office door. We're down, and my assistants are sitting there. And, um, you know, here's, here's a, a five-man leadership group that came out of the 14. Um, and so I think going back to, to your point is getting buy-in at that next level, you know, and making sure we're all on the same page and now working and, 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 and mentoring those five young men, you know, and then they're able to, you know, and creating layers of leadership within your organization is, is, is instrumental as opposed to just a head coach and a captain who are just, you know, up seen as the leaders and then everyone else is kind of a passenger to one of the things you said earlier on this. And so it's multiple layers and getting buy-in along the way in the organization um, and identifying, you know, um, leaders, future leaders or guys that are bought in, um, you know, or the, the group that needs a little bit more mentoring and, and you know, um, massaging into being sure that they're completely invested in our culture. 
Um, but it's experiential, you know what I mean? Like freshmen are just trying to figure it out. Like they're just trying to figure out how to get in the locker room. They're just trying to figure out where, you know, who, who, where is my relationships going to start to grow and those types of things. But I do think it's, um, it's, it's critical um, to identify that next level of leadership and then allow that to kind of grow and kind of as a plant grows anything, you know, you kind of let that root system kind of take hold. So uh, related question. Yeah. Uh, outside of the program, mm -hmm. have you created buy-in uh, kind of across different levels or areas of institution? And specifically, like it's easy if you have like a faculty athletic rep who's you know, a big sports fan, but what about like the difficult uh, or without naming names, obviously, yeah. problematic? You know, some people uh, are a little anti-athletics, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a faculty member, staff member, sure. whoever. Mm-hmm. How do you sort of navigate those waters and create buy-in just in other departments and other areas? Well, I think the first thing you do, what we do, is never put the student-athlete in the middle of it, right? Make sure that the student-athlete doesn't feel like they're being pulled apart by being an athlete and being a student or being a member of the campus community. Like, that, that can't. Um, I think that's critical. I think that um, you have to take a position that um, – as a steward or, you know, uh, of the men's lacrosse program here, that has to be the best interest, but I also have to maintain the balance between the best interests of the university um, and making sure that I don't allow a student or, or, or student athlete to see cracks in that from that standpoint. What I'm doing behind the scenes in terms of massaging a situation or networking or building or working on or repairing a relationship is, 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 is my job, you know, as an administrator, as a head coach and as an educator. Um, but at the same time, it's not allowed to allow kind of the student be witness to that. Um, but I think it's just like, again, going back, getting out of your silo and, and interacting and going to events on campus and, um, going to whether it be guest lecturers or things that are important to them, you know, men's lacrosse is important to us. It's not important to everyone. Right. Uh, and, but when we have, um, you know, a guest lecturer come in and speak about something that's relevant to their academic department, or we have uh, a program on campus that promotes, you know, um, a community service project or, or a fundraising initiative. You got to be part of that and you got to get out there and you got to see that you're more than just a lacrosse coach because if you allow them to put you in that, that, that box, then you may, you may never be able to get out of that box. Nobody puts a Colfer in a corner. <laughs> so as you're listening to this and you hear the word coach and you're not working in academia, just replace it with leader, student athlete with team member, and uh, faculty or staff with coworker, colleague, supervisor maybe in some cases. It's all relevant. It's yeah. all the same thing. You know, We're all in the relationship business before we're in the business of being a lacrosse coach, being – you know, um, a faculty member, a salesperson, whatever you are, it's yeah. all, you know, building relationships. And it's one of the most impressive things I've seen you do is build these relationships and, uh, you know, make the lacrosse player um, a well-rounded person on campus who's involved in more than just, you know, going to class, going to the weight room, going to practice, like they're involved. Yeah, and I think that's important, right? I mean, I think it's really important, because, especially as the, our 
the level of success has gone up, I would think some people assume we're going to do less, right? We're gonna we're gonna pull back more and 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 rely on the fact, hey, we're we're pretty good. You know, we win a lot of games and we've won some conference championships and and um, you know we've produced some All Americans and now ultimately have won a national championship. Like we can do less, we can be less visible, we can kind of sit back and rely on that. And that's absolutely opposite of what I'm thinking. We've had to be out more and more this fall and, and this summer and 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 be engaged at a higher level and 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 um, and not let people again create that that stereotype or, or that that narrative um, and, and I don't we won't allow it to happen and first and the best defense we have for that is recruit dynamic engaged young men you know what I mean you can you can recruit a young man who's an employee or, or whatever that not only is successful academically but is engaged and has high character and uh, is a strong athlete you know uh, there's a plenty of, you just got to keep digging and listening and finding those people and um, and um, if you do that then I think the things that we're asking to do come naturally so um, I want to say thanks for hosting us here today but also thanks for um, you know giving the small guy a chance you know I mean obviously you know, Cabrini University, it's not the biggest school. Sure. Um, it's a program that's relatively young still. I mean, you know, 20 some years old. Um, when did you see a shift from where you first started your vision to actually thinking, okay, we're going to be able to compete with the big boys. We're going to be able to run with them. We're going to be able to, you know, I, I look at the program that I'm with now and I see us in the early stages, but I see us starting to turn a corner and, you know, I'd like to find a way to try to mirror what you guys did. So what did you see in terms of shifting from, okay, we're in a conference, we're starting to win conference championships, and then now our eyes are on the prize of a national championship? I think there's a, there's a couple different things, but the one thing I would say that is we've always built this program with, with not fear. We don't have a fear of losing, right? And what I mean by that is that we maybe have recruited a little bit over our head with, with, with the reality of we probably weren't going to land some of the recruits that we recruited. But we, if we could get into the conversation, if we could, you know, if we could be seen as a as a aspirant or peer institution to some of these schools that we were trying to chase down at some level by recruit or a parent, then I thought we were made, moving the needle in the right direction. Uh, in, in building out scheduling and, and going head to head in terms of schools that, you know, uh, in my private darkest moments, I didn't know if we had, a, we were there yet to compete with them, but thought it was the right exposure and the right opportunity for our program to get on the field with them, to be able to compete with them, and maybe take our lumps that day. Maybe our guys needed to see that. Um, and so being not being afraid to lose is, is I find a lot of coaches build schedules and build practices and build culture around the fear of losing, not consciously, but subconsciously. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's a big bridge you got to get across. Um, and um, because if you don't take that chance, you're never going to get that moment, you know, to say, oh, my gosh, how, how exciting is this that we've just done something for the first time? Uh, and, you know, and, and so in terms of a, a watershed moment, I don't know if there's one, but you, it was kind of a little bit of a slow build. You could see, you know, in the early years, the, the first year the, the AQ came into our in Division Three lacrosse was 2002, uh, and we went to a preseason conference meeting, and there was a couple teams sitting around there um, really plotting their strategy before the meeting started of what it was going to be like when they won the AQ, and we were not one of those schools. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll remember that meeting. I remember who they were. Um, it wasn't said in, in a negative way, but they was the commissioner hadn't walked in the room. We were sitting around a room very similar to us. There were some coaches talking about what the best strategy was for their program and the other program in terms of plotting how they're going to get this first AQ and so forth. Um, they, they didn't do it that year, and they haven't subsequently done it since. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's um, that moment, that quiet moment of, okay, we need to just and, – and that's how my personality is. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to make bold pronouncements, uh, you know, um, publicly. Um, what I say to my guys behind closed doors and what the belief that we create in them is different. Um, but um, I think that – Getting that for playing in the eight, in the first NCAA tournament was 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 a huge experience. Um, you know, I look then I look at like to jump ahead five years. We we hosted Cortland State here, uh, and they were the reigning national champs, and we beat them in overtime. Um, you know, that was a moment of like, okay, this is the team that's currently in possession of the Division Three championship trophy, uh, and we just beat them now again the year before players graduate players get hurt you know all these things but in moment celebrate the little wins celebrate the victories like yes it was late march it wasn't may but those are you know that moment obviously stands out as a moment that you know we're headed in the right direction so um let me ask you this you you mentioned that first ncaa tournament appearance yeah how'd you go from that which is kind of like a uh, a watershed moment or like a, a big benchmark for any program and make sure it wasn't a letdown the following year, there wasn't a hangover or, the, you know, the, that next sort of generation of leaders didn't just think like, oh, this is just what's supposed to happen now. I think in, in a moment's notice, we created that that was the expectation. It was no longer a, a possibility. It was the expectation. And um, that we were here once, and now we're here. We're, we're, we're coming back every year. To, to, to And so it went from celebrating the possibility of it the year before and but then creating quickly thereafter, making that this is the expectation uh, and everything that we that drove us in terms of recruiting, in terms of scheduling, in terms of messaging, in terms of accountability, about going to class, about being on time for study hall, uh, about what we do on a Friday and Saturday night, what we don't do. Uh, and, um, you know, that became the expectation. And, and I would like to say there was a moment that the switch was flipped, but I don't remember exactly. But I think in sports, you know, how many bus rides have I taken home after losses? And how many bus rides have I taken home after season-ending losses? And it, every one except uh, this one. Uh, I'm looking at your record, and yeah. the answer is not that many. Well, yeah, but they, 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 they're, they're poignant moments. And, and whether, you know, in a lot of, I've been very fortunate to have some very long-term assistance here. You know, in, in, in Kevin Camp and, and Steve Hill and and um, and uh, those guys with you know some of the other younger guys that have come and gone. You know, um, as soon as that game's over and we've cleared the the airspace of that university we've lost to, we're talking about the next year. We really are, uh, and we're talking about who we bring back and how we can deploy them and and who, how what's our best strategy and and. and we're, we're not really lamenting and, and reflecting on what just was. We're, we're reflecting on what, what could be and what will be. Uh, and uh, did, I think it's important. Did you just go cleared the airspace? 
Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we weren't. We weren't. This, this is your captain speaking. <laughs> We've cleared the airspace of Cortland State <laughs> University, and we will now be uh, headed through the scenic and picturesque Hudson Valley yeah, of New yeah, York. Absolutely. Uh, You're free to move about the cabin. Yeah, it's a, you know. This is how big time we've gotten. We fly everywhere no, we now, don't. Steve. No, we're on a charter. We're on a bus. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. You know what I mean? Right. You know, maybe I should use mile marker. You know, no, I like highway. clear the airspace. Yeah, absolutely. It was yeah. a, I'm trying to create a, a picture for our listeners out there. You know what Theater I mean? Theater of the mind yes, right absolutely. now. Yes. You know, and I'm just trying to follow your lead. Um, and uh, But uh, I think that's important, like always looking forward. Um, and I think by doing that, it never ever has... I mean, people ask me like, "Oh, how many conference champions?" Like, and they think maybe I'm being aloof, or I, I have no idea. Sometimes I really yeah. don't. I'm focused on the 2020 conference championship. That's what I'm focused on. Um, and and how are we three practices into our fall ball season? How are we on pace to achieve that goal? And and yep. how, and at the end of our practice plan, you know, always is the next benchmark. And all through fall and all through January and February, our next goal, it says Haverford College, 1215, 12 p.m. You know what I mean? Um, and that's when our next game is. And that's yep. the next challenge that we're building towards. And so it reminds us that the work we're putting in each day in pre-practice and our foundational stuff and our developmental stuff and our transition stuff is building to that endpoint. And uh, And I think that's kind of how we've done it and I don't know if there was one moment or a series of moments but I think it's having it building a culture that's forward thinking you know so as you're listening to this and if you don't work in athletics this is one of the most disturbing things to me leaving athletics going into corporate America like as a coach you have a daily game plan of what you want to accomplish in the office on the field you have a vision for the rest of the week and what you're going to do it blows my mind how many people don't plan their day in the workforce. Never mind their week or know where they're headed at the end of the quarter. Mm -hmm. Salespeople, too, whose life is measured on a sort of scoreboard, who don't plan their day. So, like, it could be as simple as what's next? What's yeah. your vision for, you know, tomorrow? Put it in writing. It's, yeah. it's staggering. To one, me. one of the things we get here, and we've gotten it probably since the day we, we get these these monthly or yearly planners that are gifts to the athletic department, and and they're still the old school planner, right? We all live in our phones, we all live in technology, but there's a bunch of coaches here that fight vigorously for that, right? It's a it's a donation for for not only us us as coaches, but for our athletes. They come in as part of their academic check in, they get their planner, and they've they've gotten a, nicer over the years, and they have you know a lot of information about Cabrini University and and contact points and some resources for them, but it's an old school daily, monthly, yearly planner. And it's ironic, now juniors, sophomores, juniors, and seniors come in for our planners in yet? Can we get our planners, you know, while, yeah. while um, and again, it's that visualization of what's today, what's tomorrow, what's this week, what's this month. And you um, can't see that on an app on your Google no. Calendar or on your smartphone, no. but not the same way. Right. And there's so much, like, I hope you never get rid of that. I, oh, I and here's why. Yeah. Because when you write something, like, handwritten, yeah. it's wired into your brain differently than yeah. if you typed it, sorry, thumbed it out into your device. Yeah. It is hardwired into your brain to remember it so much better. Yeah. And there's more emotion behind it, which I is agree. the power of a handwritten note from a recruiting standpoint. Everything comes out more heartfelt if you are handwriting it. Yeah. Personal notes, 
anything like that. One so of the I old love that you do that. tools we use here too, and we still use them. And the guys are doing the, our first years have a class attendance tracker, and so they have a block of five or six on the sheet of paper, right? And uh, each block is representative of one of the courses that they're carrying. And the week ending dates for the fall semester dates are in there. And if, if their class meets Monday, Wednesday, Friday, at the end they sit up there and, and the professors all know, here are my three lacrosse players who are in my class. And the professor initials that John was there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And if he wasn't, then they get the, don't get the initials and then they deal with it next week in academic check-in with us. Um, or they don't, it's old school, right? It's it, And the point of the exercise is threefold it's a making we're driving class attendance right accountability it's the um the organization and the strategy of remembering hey i need to bring this to my class now i may have a class that meets monday wednesday which is not the end of the week that's middle of the week i'm not thinking end of week but for this class it is the end of the week i need to remember to bring it and then three and maybe the most important takeaway is the network it's the face-to-face -face conversation that that young man gets to have with a professor each week and every week, especially early on. And they no longer become the guy sitting in the third row with the baseball hat on. They become John Brubaker from Maine who plays lacrosse, who's interested in studying, you know, business. And that those, those things have been lost in, in some respect with technology. Uh, and those are the lessons that were really impressing upon our guys that, uh, you know, what you think is a nuisance uh, in some cases, um, is actually, you know, something that you maybe incorporate into your, you know, who you are and your planning, your strategizing and, and just your accountability, um, in terms of the academic measuring stick that we use here. So, um, and faculty obviously love it because it drives attendance. Coaches love when players come to practice. And I always tell them, faculty love when you come to class and you engage and, and, and you're part of it. Uh, and, um, and I think that accountability is, is big and, and huge, and especially early on, to kind of build the right foundation. So, Coach, you uh, mentioned earlier before we started recording, uh, you kind of said an offhand comment about you, got, uh, you have a family. Uh, for me personally, I've I've uh, two very young kids. I'm mm -hmm. just curious, kind of shifting gears a little bit. What what have you you know you talked about going going throughout campus and and being seen and making connections and relationships, but I'm really just kind of curious what what sort of things do you do on a personal level to to try to stay even keeled and not get you know, you know I got to go do this or I'm taken away from my family. Like I'm just kind of curious, like what 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 do you like to do or how do you how do you manage to balance balance the the you know the work life uh, yeah the work life flow. Well, it's it's awesome when you, you think you've, you you know you, you married the right woman right who supports coaches because coaches have a very non-traditional schedule sometimes now I think the workforce and you guys both out kicked your coverage <laughs> in that category by the way so there is a lot of uh, there is a uh, a lot saying you know to anyone who who partners or marries with the coach because of our, our non-traditional schedules of nights and weekends and so forth. It's incorporating them into that, right? It's, it's making them feel part of this experience. Um, and I think the beauty of what we do, it's a very welcoming um, experience. You know, our, our, our parents and, and um, our, uh, you know, players' parents and, and administration, you know, incorporates our family into that. And so, when I'm working, coaching, practicing, traveling or whatever, that, you know, uh, 
my wife and my children feel part of that and feel so that it's, it's not two worlds, right? It's, it's the synthesis of that. But at the same time, there has to be a break. There has to be a, you know, a getaway. And I think um, we try to be very focused and serious in what we do here as coaches, but we also have to just we don't spend endless amounts of hours going over the same thing and beating the same horse. Um, we, we, our assistants have to have the right work-life balance. Um, and because if, if they're struggling at home explaining and rationalizing to, to their, their wife or girlfriend or whatever, the, 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 then you're fighting an uphill battle as managing them. So letting them have the, work, the, work, the right work-life balance um, and lead by example. But I think incorporating your family into this experience is, is, is huge. I think being a head coach that I was worried when I had children, you know, not the fact that um, how was I going to do it. It was to your point, like, how am I going to balance it, you know? Um, and will there, be, will there be an enormous amount of distractions that weren't there pre-children that are going to make me a, a, not as focused and, 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 and uh, a, an effective leader or head coach. And I find just the opposite. You know, I, I find uh, way the opposite. I feel like much like when we were athletes in school, like I was a better student when I was in season and I was out because I was more dialed in. I was more structured. I was more supported. And you know, when you, you guys get, you get married, you know, you have a different set of accountability. You got to count for your hours more. And so when I was single and I was head coach here, I, I could sit in the office till eight or nine o'clock. Now, I don't know what the hell I was doing from six to eight o'clock. I was staring at the walls, looking out the windows or just, you know, you have to be more focused and dialed in. Throw one kid in there, two kids in there, three kids in there. You know, like your day gets between dropping off at school, between picking up, between getting to practices, between, you know, it just becomes a different sense of focus, you know. But I do think the one thing is, is creating a program and a culture where the people that you don't come to work with, your wife, your children or whatever, feel part of that. They feel excited to come to games. They feel excited to come up to practice. They get to know your assistants. They connect. Your players get to know your children. And I think what also what it makes what 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 you the connection you have with your players takes the next level is that when I coached and I didn't have my own children. I treated all, I think all my players, I hope, with respect and, and understanding and compassion. But what you realize when you have your own children is that you would hope that someday in their lives that they have someone in their life that's going to mentor and take the time to, you know, educate, uh, be a friend, be a disciplinarian, uh, do the different things that we are required to do with their sons that we coach and daughters that we coach. Um, and I think there's you cross that bridge and no longer do they become just players to you. They become children of another set of parents. Uh, and you, it takes your, I think it, it, it enhances your emotional intelligence in, in the relationship that you have with your players. Um, and so I think as you get older and you get more reflective and you get more, you know, um, life experience under your belt, that naturally evolves you as, a, as any type of leader in any type of industry. Um, but I think as a head coach uh, who's working with 18 to 22-year-olds, um, it's... Uh, it has it, it's just enhanced the relationship that I have with the players, you know, in a way. And um, what was a concern of how is it all going to work end up being such an enhancement and such a such a, a, a beautiful thing in, in that partnership and that balance. But shout out to my wife, though. Without her, I, I wouldn't be here. 
Lauren, if you're listening, <laughs> exactly. you're blessed. Yes, exactly. The woman, I think we can all agree here. Yes. The woman is blessed yes, to have I, you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would agree. That's the smartest uh, thing you've said all day. Yeah. So, or the only smart thing yeah, I've said all day. Yeah, that's true. So, two things. Number one, I think uh, for everyone listening, young assistants, young head coaches who are about to start families, yeah. I mean, one of the things that makes you better coach is have kids <laughs> seriously yeah like it just it changes the lens like you said it changes the lens through which you view your quote kids on your team it really does and uh i'm only half kidding when i say this yeah no. like room i didn't even haven't even said it yet oh i thought you meant what you just no said. I'm no sorry. i was completely serious about right. that but the example i love to give about changing how responsible you become and this might not be the best example is remember when bill clinton was president and they got him a puppy Yes. They got that chocolate lab. Oh, wasn't it? Yeah, and the joke was, was that like Eminem they wanted Bob's. to teach him a little bit about responsibility. Yeah. Now that he was going to be in the White House and leader of the free world. Like, I, I look at it kind of like that. Like if you've ever had a puppy, it changes like the lens through which you view the world and you become more responsible. And then kids just amplifies that to the nth degree. Uh, and then in terms of the work-life balance piece, I'm wondering uh, – how many coaches on their deathbed said, you know what? I wish I'd have stayed in the office later and watched more game film. Yeah. Right? None. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I need to go to the bathroom, but yeah. because this is a 100% authentic podcast, yes. I'm just going to get up and go to the bathroom, okay. and I'll let you guys carry on and just continue. The mic isn't yeah. going with you into the bathroom, though, right? No. All right, all right. Nor is, anyone, so make sure nor is anyone named Mike coming with me to the bathroom. But where is it? Out right that out door? that door, okay. and you, you right. just walk on a 45-degree uh, angle. You'll walk right into it. On eggshells. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right, I'll be right back. Adam, yes. you're in charge. Yes. This is officially called The Inmates Are Running the Asylum. <laughs> this segment is sponsored by... Dunkin' Donuts, I think it was sponsored by. <laughs> so t take us through, again, the you know maybe the recruiting process from where you started to how you know you go about it today without giving away too many secrets. But uh, talking about you know how that has... You know, we talked about the mentality, the shift in mentality. Um, how about specifically with recruiting? How has that shifted from day one to today? Yeah, I mean, I would think, you know, obviously the game and the opportunities to recruit has, has grown exponentially, you know, over that time. So you have the opportunity to really recruit, you know, 12 months a year now, you know, um, through the use of um, video technology with the, you know, um, films and, and, and player profiles and those types of um, uh, resources that are out there. You have the opportunity to have go and watch athletes who you're maybe recruiting if as lacrosse players play fo high school football, watch high school soccer, uh, play high school basketball, those types of things. So you get to evaluate their athleticism in a different way. And um, so those opportunities exist. Um, I think it's just going um, and, and, and putting yourself in in and around the, the aspirant programs and, and, and level that you expect to go to. Um, you know, and so it, if I was going to, and I think early on, I had the realization of like, I'd rather go to the best events, and this may sound harsh, and, and get the worst kid, right, um, or the lowest level ranked player there at the best event than getting the best kid at a low rung event, right? I, I just, to me, that always made sense of like, go to where the best are, know that you're probably going to not be able to really engage with 99% of them at this point, at that point in our program. But to me, it made more sense uh, to put ourselves in the, and aspire up 
uh, in that instead of going to where I think, well, there are okay to mediocre to below average players, and I might be able to pull three or four guys out of there and really feel good about myself. But then for the next three or four years, feel like, man, why do we have all these mediocre players in our program? Uh, and so I think as the years have gone on, putting ourselves in those events obviously has made obviously more and more sense. And obviously the ability to, to interact and attract and get people um, interested in Cabrini University uh, is important. But I, I don't think anything fundamentally has changed. I tell young assistant coaches all the time, be authentic, be genuine, don't tell stories, right? Tell stories. Don't sell uh, your college or university. Don't don't throw stat after stat after stat about job placement and, you know, LSAT score. That, that will get lost. 85% you know? of stats are all made up anyway. Well, yeah, exactly. But um boom, right? Uh, and uh, it's it's tell stories and tell stories about real people in your program. That's what people connect to, I have believed. And so that really hasn't changed. Um, and I really just I go back to, you know, your, your past kind of influences your present and your present influences your future. And, and, uh, and uh, but I think those real stories, those real people and be authentic in that representation. I would hope that nothing has changed along the way. I think the audience has changed maybe a little bit. Um, and I think the audience has gotten bigger just because of a lot of things that have happened just in, in the nature of, of, of um, high school sports and youth sports has just grown. And, and so like any you know, um, industry, if there's growth, there's opportunity, right? And there's opportunity to get a bigger market share. You're not, you're not quite recruiting in maternity wards yet? No, not yet. Not, not no, that not early? Yeah, not yet, yeah. not yet, but uh, yeah. to, to your, I want to go back to storytelling. Yeah. To your point, um, here's why that works so well. And there's a ton of psychology behind it. When someone hears you tell a story, like about, this is what made me flash back to this. Before I explain, like, the science behind that, what made me flash back to is we're pulling onto campus. And I called Adam when we were on the turnpike on the way in here. I'm like, hey, uh, just want to make sure you're up. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm up. I'm uh, had breakfast. I'm going to head over to campus and walk around. And as we're pulling into the back entrance, I see Adam just kind of like, what appeared to be wandering aimlessly and stumbling down the walkway to go into Grace Hall. And I started honking the horn, flashing the high beams. He finally turned around like, this reminds me of 1996. Like, <laughs> like we've never left. You're right. just like about to wander in the, the office building. I'm pulling it. Like, so like that's the story in the tape that was kind of playing through in my head. Mm -hmm. But like the, and the whole, that's what you call a segue. The whole point to that is like, that's the way our brains are wired since the beginning of time. Cavemen were writing murals, like mm -hmm. avoid large dinosaur, mm -hmm. how to make fire, like how to make fire, all that. And those were stories that they would tell. It was literally like, you know, a cartoon back yeah. then. And that's how we remember things. But the reason why they're so powerful is you're telling a story about like when your current players or a former player to recruit, or, you know, if you're recruiting someone to come work at your company and you tell them a story about, you know, someone who's potentially going to be one of their peers, like they don't hear that person's name in the story. Their brain automatically kind of plants them into that situation. So you talk about an ability to get a kid's buy-in or get a prospect's buy-in. When you're telling that story, they're seeing themselves 
on the campus, in the building. They're seeing themselves doing whatever that is in that story you just told. Yeah. Most people don't know that. They just know telling a good story is important. Yeah. But that's the why behind it. It's just it's like the most powerful thing you can do. I think that's the moment of opt-in or opt-out, yeah. right? And I think that that's what they're – um, that's what successful recruiting is about. Like they're going to, at that moment, give you give you the pens p- potential to opt in. You know. Yes. Fin- finally, yes. Coach Thresher has a yeah. question. All right. The moment we've it's, all been waiting it's for. It's called it's, no it's called a slow build. I love it. <laughs> it's what we've that's the, that should be the uh, the slogan of Cabrini Lacrosse. A slow build. Should we, should we give him a slow clap? Yeah. <laughs> um. So going back to what you said about young assistants, like telling them um like stories to recruits. What other advice would you give to young assistants or young head coaches just yeah. trying to move up and develop uh, their coaching listen, strategies and such uh go listen uh interact be around uh shadow as many people as you can right because what you're gonna you're gonna there's gonna be a couple major takeaways there's going to be takeaways of i'm gonna take that and really incorporate that into my coaching dna my recruiting dna and that is not me right and so how i do it may not be right for you how someone else does it may be more right or you may be the combination of both of us so borrowing, stealing, repackaging, reprogramming, however you want to do it, is absolutely 1,000% okay and encouraged, right? Um, find successful models. I think John had talked about that earlier. Um, most people will happily bring you in. Some may be, really, what you want to learn. You know, I, of course, for me, it's always a little bit awkward when people say, hey, can I come in and talk, right? I have that self-doubt still of, like, really me? Like, why me? You know, uh, uh, that we're doing this today, those types of things. Um, but I think as a young assistant, it's d- go out and listen and, and, and talk and engage and, 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 and get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, here, because of our location, our geography, I was able to do it a little bit maybe more easily. But I spent a lot of time over Villanova. I spent a lot of time down at the University of Delaware. I spent a lot of time at St. Joe's and just watching, you know, and listening. And go to other sports. I love, I walk around Cabrini's campus all, when we're not in season especially. I go to basketball practice. I go to field hockey practice. I go to soccer practice. I like to see their drills. I like to see the tempo. I like to uh, just be around sports and leaders and see what they're doing, um, you know. Um, Steve, and, Steve yeah. to your point, and when you become a head coach and you become an old head coach, don't stop doing that. Yeah, and, I'm not there yet, so you know. No, I, mean, but, uh, I was talking to oh, young right, Thresher right, right, right. here. Um, like, I think so often people, when they become a head coach, when they become, when they land in a position of authority, and this is like what was told to me by my speaking mentor in the speaking business. Three audiences you don't want to get in front of, ever: coaches, teachers, doctors, and lawyers. Like, is that why? Four? What doctors slash lawyers? That's four. Yeah, I'm really good at two (laughs) things: writing, speaking, and math. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So I said, "Well, why is that?" He said, "Because they all like are used to being in the front of the room and used to having everyone just follow their directions, and they're not terribly coachable." And it's fascinating how many coaches I see, head coaches, who aren't terribly coachable because they've risen to that point. Now, here's what. 
here's how I kind of want to transition and tie a bow on that whole subject yeah. in terms of like inexpensive, inexpensive experience, being willing to learn and being willing to extract that knowledge from different unique places. I just had on a podcast, a tour manager for Granger Smith, a friend of mine, Chris Lee, and we're talking about touring and how that relates to business, how it relates to um, athletics. And the example I gave was coaches going to visit other coaches, other institutions to learn from them. Um, John Haas was very welcoming to me when I would go visit his team and his staff at University of North Carolina. I was a nobody. Mm-hmm. And he was more than willing to be open and transparent. Like, And that John Donowski is the same way at Hofstra. It's, it's impressive to see. But what's even more impressive to see for me is and that's the way musicians are too like an opening act you know their tour manager gets to meet with the tour manager for like so like in granger smith's case chris got to meet with the tour manager for florida georgia line luke bryan all those guys see how everything's done on a higher level their sound guy lighting guy got to kind of take a page from that playbook of the more experienced kind of bigger uh hashtag stadium status mm-hmm. acts mm-hmm. Uh, shameless plug for the book there go to right. stadiumstatusbook.com <laughs> but my point is it also works the other way and here's the best story i've heard in years we were on the phone the other day and you're like i'm pulling into campus and then you mentioned who was coming to visit you and your staff that day and i'm like that's really cool. Now I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you tell that story. You remember who you told me was, was here the other day? No. Someone came down to visit you? Mm, which, this week? Yeah. Uh, we talked, what was it, Monday or Tuesday? Yeah, uh, the Kenesha staff? Yeah. So, yes. so tell that story because it illustrates my point and it's yeah. going to make me well, I mean, sound like I'm saying two smart things yeah, on the no, podcast. Right, yeah. Uh, so I, I paused a little bit, and this isn't to, but since, you know, we're the coffee of the month right now, right? Because we, we recently won, right? So now all of a sudden what we've been doing for the last 20 years was okay, but what we did in the last year is unbelievably has to be digested because they must have changed everything. And oh, reality, you're like the pumpkin spice right? latte yes. of the, the reality lacrosse of world. Really very nothing much has changed, right? Other than some personnel and so forth. But um, that's kind of... Um, you know, obviously we enjoy giving back about paying forward and, and for the people that I was able to go shadow and spend time with and, 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 and pull things from, I'm happy to do that now. Um, and, and, and sometimes surprised that people want to listen or learn, you know, um, from me because of, you know, I'm human and I kind of have that, those same self doubts. Right. Um, but like Kenesha's staff was down in Philly for the, uh, indoor pro draft. They had a couple of players that were in the pool. So they came down and, and, and Mark, who I've known for years, who's their head coach. And he's a younger head coach. I think he's in his heading into his third year at, at Kenesha's. Uh, and he was a young assistant for a lot of years. I got to know him through the recruiting circuit and just through professional networking, um, said, Hey, you know, we're coming into Philly and we're going to, you know, spend some time over at, um, St. Joe's and potentially Drexel. And can we come in and spend a morning with Cabrini? Uh, and uh, I said, sure, you know, if you want to, absolutely, just to catch up and see him and, and his staff. Um, but then we just, you know, we go upstairs and we just share ideas, you know. And, and again, they were asking a lot of stuff about, uh, 
um, just culture and, and some X and O's and uh, for him being a young head coach, you know, and, and uh, the level doesn't matter. People are people, right? Whether you're a Division One athlete or Division Three athlete, it doesn't matter. Can, I think you, people, can you say that again? The level doesn't matter. Yeah, louder into the mic. Sorry, the level doesn't matter. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it, so... Like, listen to that and absorb yes. it, whatever yeah. industry you're in, whoever you are. Like, right. the level doesn't matter. Right. Doing a good job is doing a good job. Yeah. And doing a and crappy success job... success leaves clues. Doing a crappy job yeah. is, is the same. It doesn't matter because it's it's not, a, you know, perceived to be at the best level. Because that will come with you, right? And that will come with you. To your point about the tour manager, if, he, if your tour manager buddy is doing a great job with that artist that's going to be recognized, processed, consumed, and then he will find himself at the next getting a better opportunity, yep. a bigger opportunity, and so on and so your forth. current role every day is an audition for your next role. Absolutely. Yeah. and um, Kind of so, like when you move up from assistant coach to associate head coach. Yeah. Like Coach Garling who just walked in the room. Yeah. Coach Garling, come on over here. Yeah, I mean, the brain's behind the operation, you know what I mean? So. Oh, we, we knew it wasn't you, right? <laughs> Step over the court. Okay. So uh, Ron Garling just got promoted. He yes. uh, was walking by. We have this beautiful glass floor-to-ceiling wall here, and I flagged him down. Yes. Um, we're going to turn the tables on this podcast episode. And, uh, yeah, sit down and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, what I want to have you do is, uh, Steve... I'm going to have you, this is an opportunity for you to ask Coach Garling a couple questions that so everyone can learn from his nuggets of wisdom. I mean, you just said he's the brains behind the operation. Yes. So yeah, yeah. this is your chance to prove it and not screw it up. I'm going to hand you the mic now. All right. Well, I mean. I Introduce yourself. Uh, how you doing? I don't know who I'm talking to here, but uh, <laughs> probably no one, but yeah. that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Name is, is Ron Garling, and I am currently the associate head coach here at Cabrini University. It's exactly. actually the first time I've ever said that. So. Re recently promoted over the summer and well-deserved. I guess my question would be staying on point to what we were just talking about. If you, you picked up on the level, doesn't matter about doing a good job. Um, Ron's background, you know, got did a one-year kind of coaching internship slash assisted coaching spot with me back in 2010 when he was finishing up his fifth year at Drexel University, his eligibility was done, and then went on and spent the next seven years coaching Division One between Lafayette and High Point. Um, and I guess the question would be for you: What were some of the the takeaways from your Division One years, um, and 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 what did you learn along the way that allowed you now to come back to Division Three? Um, and you know, again talking about levels and some of the things that are similar, dissimilar, or some of the things that, that doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it transcends. It doesn't matter what level it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was very fortunate, um, with my, my two mentors that I, um, that I worked with when working at the division one level of being able to, um, you know, learn from guys that have been coaching for quite a long time, guys that have, you know, done it as a profession full time for many years, um, so I was able to really break down their uh, <laughs> break down uh, the game at a, at a very high level of, you know, both the offensive end and the defensive end. I was very fortunate when I was at Lafayette. I was an offensive coach. 
Um, then when I even really took a step back to take the job at, at High Point, I was I started as the volunteer assistant. Um, they had two offensive coaches, so I, I helped out our head coach, John Torpy, down there with the defensive side and um, didn't know anything about defense at the time. Um, but then over a five-year period, went from constantly at practice looking at all the offensive players and correcting what they were doing to finally training my brain to look at the defensive guys and figure out how to how to coach and and uh, and teach on that end, um, which was definitely a, a thing that that helped me quite a bit throughout my coaching career. Quick uh, quick aside, is it true that at High Point they have an ice cream truck that just travels around the quad and kids can get free ice cream from the ice cream cart each afternoon? Um, so so that that's a yes and a no. Um, yes, they do have the ice cream truck. Yes, it does travel travel around campus. Um, but it is not constantly traveling around campus. It, it's not every single day. It's, you know, they're, the school does it if they're promoting a, a sporting event, an event on campus. If they're, they're trying to get people excited about something, they're, they're, you'll see the, the truck driving around. Three-part question, Coach Garling. Second part, is it true that uh, the newspaper is left outside your door to your dormitory, much like at a, say, Ritz-Carlton Hotel? On the campus of High Point University. Um, having been there for five years, I could say I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, it, it, it wouldn't. This is a rumor we heard over here as uh, small college folk. With the uh, with the way that High Point operates and the way they, they do things for their students, it, it wouldn't shock me one bit. Um, but I can't say that's something that I ever learned or knew about the university. Okay, third and final part to the question. All right. Is it true that there's a five-star dining facility on campus that the students are allowed to access and utilize uh, like a certain number of times per month? How, how does it explain that? Yeah, so they have um, they have a restaurant uh, called Prime on, on campus. Um, the students are able to go to that once a week um, as a part of their meal plan. Um, so they're able to go there and it's, it's kind of the old school mentality of, of still teaching while it's a, a great meal once a week, they, the school always equated it, or at least I did as, you know, that's your, when you're away from home, that's your one, one meal a week where you get to go home on Sunday and have a really, you know, well-cooked meal. Um, but additionally they do a lot of, um, kind of old school teaching with etiquette with, um, you know, teaching the proper ways to, to have a, a business meeting, a dinner, um, you know, leaving your phone out front, and they, they're strict with it. They so it's like finishing school, something yeah. we all should have gone to and didn't. Yeah, I mean, they're Which strict. Which is the salad fork, Steve? Is yeah. it the one on the left? I, I mean, I, I wish I got to, you know, taught that. I joke that I learned how to eat from the movie The Titanic, where Leonardo DiCaprio's sitting there, and they say, "Start from the outside, work your way in." There you go. And I always wait for everyone else to grab their their glass and their bread plate because I'm not sure which side mine's on. So here's the reason I ask that, and there's always a method to my madness, contrary to what you might think, Coach Colfer, is uh, I'm a firm believer in the whole concept of be different or be invisible. And I think High Point is a great example of reinventing yourself. They were, quote, just another small, private, tuition-driven, struggling college, you know, in the southeast until Nino Kubain, who is the, uh, was the president and CEO of Great Harvest Bread Company, and I think he's a board member, until um, he took over the college and really kind of changed it. And they became uh, an institution that wanted to be known for something different. Uh, he realized your marketers first. And then you do what it is you do on a daily basis second. And that's all 
different stuff and it creates a word of mouth marketing and buzz and kind of a neat experience on campus a little cachet and you got something everyone can learn from which is why i wanted to mention that so i'm going to now well i'm going to hand the mic back to steve because this is his interview but i do want you to answer that like so knowing those experiences how do you kind of take from that coming back here and like what have you done to make cabrini different so you're not invisible in this cluttered, crowded, commoditized marketplace of a lot of small, private, tuition-driven colleges that just have lacrosse in the Northeast. Uh, the thing I learned from High Point is, um, you know, 100% that they did, they put more into the people around the university and the, the school. Um, they went over and above for... Um, you know, people that were just visiting. If you were ever to go to High Point University and email somebody and say, hey, I'd like a tour, I'd like whatever, um, they will go above and beyond for you, regardless of what you could do for the school. Um, really just they, they, they build the word of mouth. They build, you know, kind of positive results and positive talk about um, the school there. Um, what I've, you know, kind of learned from that and with my job of being a kind of a heavy recruiter, um, you know, here for Cabrini is – um, <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's, that's month to month for me, but, um, um, but it's, it's being and, and letting recruits know that, you know, I'm accessible with my cell phone, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for them, their parents, you know, for guardians, for friends, um, you know, and, and trying to make sure that I'm, I'm while recruiting student athletes, giving them a different experience that they might not get from other schools that we're competing against. So to summarize, the difference between Division One and Division Three is free ice cream, a steakhouse, and paper delivery. Is that my major takeaway there? Uh, it, maybe, <laughs> maybe for comparing <laughs> what high points to other schools. For the sure. similarities are is treat people the right way, be present, be available, you know, and that uh, you know, and be be realistic and genuine. Back to what we were talking about, and if you do that, that transcends the level and the environment and all those things are pretty much non-industry specific. And the rest takes care of itself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And while, you know, what I've, again, going back to high point and, you know, what a lot of different schools is, you know, it's competitive when you're at the college level with students. And, you know, I've been to different, worked at different schools where, you know, once you're admitted, you know, it's, it's sink or swim and it's, hey, you know, you have to handle the work, you have to do this, you know, you have to do that to, to stay here. Um, you know, where high points kind of looked at it as a, a little bit different while obviously the students have to, you know, be successful there. You know, it's being able to give them all the tools um, to be to be different. It's being able to, you know, make sure that they're they're pulling in and, and helping the students first more than just say, hey, you know, you're this is what our university is like it, deal with it or, or leave. Um, they try to create a, a really good, unique um you know, environment for the students that's student driven first. I mean, the funniest story that I can tell you is um, my head coach, John Torpy, who's a, a, a bigger individual and can be a very scary looking guy for, you know, say a student. I think he's a teddy bear, Torp. I don't um, know what he's talking about. but That's just the outside. He is a teddy bear on the inside <laughs> for sure. But, uh, you know, one day he, him and his two assistants before I got there were playing pickup basketball in, the, you know, the in the the gymnasium but it was the the recreation gym not the you know student athlete gym and one of the student workers had to go over and basically kick them off the court um because that is a student only based area so uh fact
faculty and staff they're like you know students pay tuition students are what keeps us going you know this is not for you obviously they had gyms and different things for the the faculty and staff there but you know when you were on campus we weren't allowed to you know faculty and staff was not allowed to go to uh the the steakhouse we weren't allowed to get the ice cream that was solely for the students and um you know, and it, and it was a very well-known thing when you were an employee there that you were working for the students more than working for the school. I think something that was important that, you know, Ron touched upon a little bit and going back to, like, distinguishing how you make us different or how you make any place different and, and something I've been saying with parents and recruits this summer more and more, and, and I think, again, it goes to any, any organization, is, like, when we hire someone or recruit someone, we get them in, I think you have to be very careful if you don't go into the, the warehousing mentality, right, where you just get that person in the door and then you put them in the warehouse and you know that it's a resource there for you when you need it and you only go down there when you need it or when you need to pull on it, you know, and, and I talk about, I use our locker room as kind of the, the warehouse. I said, listen, we're not recruiting you here for the next four years to kind of put you down in there in the locker room and then we're only going to engage with you and 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 get to know you and and spend time with you when we need you you know and i think that's a warehousing mentality and i think that you can that can be dangerous when you get into a position as a manager or a leader of any organization that you just you're just in the business of acquiring assets right and those assets come in come in come in and you go home and put your head down at night thinking okay we got a lot of assets in that room and when i need them I'm going to be able to call on them, and they're going to do their jobs. And if they don't feel engaged and part of it, you know, from the earliest steps, you get into that mentality, and, and warehouses can be, you know, they get too big, they get very, uh, you know, cluttered, and, uh, and, and there's a sense of disconnect there. And, and when uh, you don't need them anymore, right. you just let them go. Right. Yeah, it's, you become like, it's just human capital. Yeah. Yeah, it's a dangerous place to be. I'm really glad you brought that up. I think it's it's an important mentality, and I, I don't know. I think as coaches, we acquire assets through recruiting, yep. and and if we feel like we have the right assets, then then it's just gonna it's just gonna naturally happen. And I think more and more, um, and again, this ties back into you know coaching today's athlete, you know, and what they bring to the table is they want that engagement. You, you know, I say to our recruits as we're we're, we're in that finals, like we're hiring you as almost as a coworker. You know, um, and, and we use that terminology. I go to work with these guys, uh, much like I go to work with Coach Garling, Coach Spence, Coach Hill, and so forth on our staff. I go to work with the players as much, if, if not more, um, because I'm dealing with them not only athletically, but academically and socially and um, through different um, initiatives we may be taking on throughout the year. And I think it's really important to have that mentality as a manager um, and, and as a leader um, that uh, we just don't want to get into the business of warehousing human capital and, and employees because I think they sense that and then that a, a natural disconnect will happen, um, and I don't know if you'll, they'll, you or them or you together will realize your full potential. It's hard to unwind that once yeah. that's been wound. Yeah. So now we're going to turn the tables on you, Steve Colfer, <laughs> and Coach Garling. Is, is this like the old game show where this is your life? People will start coming through that door, like from elementary school and high school. And I called hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands of people. You know who's walked through that door so far today? Just you after you came back from the bathroom. And I had to drag coach garling yeah, in here yeah exactly yeah, so yeah All this right. is your life fair enough yeah. fair enough everybody else is in the warehouse <laughs> i'm kidding so this is where we turn the tables on the interview i feel like you remember that uh the scene from uh what's that movie step brothers yeah we're gonna uh turn 
<laughs> we're gonna turn the tables on this interview and we're gonna ask you some question yes what is your uh annual income after taxes <laughs> why are you wearing tuxedos guys <laughs> no seriously we're gonna turn the tables on this interview coach garling wants to ask you a question okay he set he set all of this up okay you gotta give me a minute i don't know what my question is <laughs> you've been prepping for this moment this is your 15 minutes of fame it is and it's bad enough i had to show you how to hold the microphone come on now <laughs> while you're prepping for your question coach, coach haas, coach haas has yes. another question the man, the myth, the legend. Just, I'm just glad you made it back from the bathroom. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is this, this is actually directed to Coach Garling. So as somebody who's on the outside of the of the Cabrini tornado, you know, the, certainly when you're on the outside of something, your perception of something is is equally going to be different. Um, I'm curious what you felt the. Uh, what some of the changes uh, that you brought with you that you felt really took on took off from a Division One to Division Three standpoint, like what really took hold? Like, hey, you know, maybe we should try doing a couple of these things, and it really worked, you know, for you guys here. But but I what I you know kind of prefacing at the beginning was that I think that you guys have a great you've done a, you've done a great job here. Coach Culver's done a great job here already. So I guess kind of it's like what did you what did you add on top of what was already here, and how did uh, how, how were some of the ideas received? Is that, hopefully that makes sense. So how'd you throw gas on an already large fire? Um, you know, for my time at, high, at, at working the Division One level, um, you know, we, we've talked about, I've talked about this with a lot of different coaches, is, you know, we, we talk about that combination of, of coaching every aspect of the game at the Division One level versus kind of overcoaching. And, and the thing, you know, that I've always tried to do is, is find my balance of, you know, am I coaching as every aspect of the game that the guys are going to be able to understand that helps them, you know, in, in every level, um, you know, versus overcoaching, giving them too much and, and having the guys think, you know, I've seen games where you don't play well, guys are, you know, you can visibly see they're, they're the hamster wheel spinning, you're telling them stuff, but they're not just playing out there. Um, so, you know, the thing that I, I hope that I was able to bring over the last couple of years is, is you know my experiences from a division one side where we you know might have overthought everything but what can we do what what can we kind of bring some foresight to of hey this this is starting to become a problem it might not be a problem yet but you know we're worried about it. i mean we went into the the national championship game and i'm going you know we have to we have to be able to drop and get in the hole as as my a number one thing of of being able to stop this team and you know People were, were talking about it. We're going over it. We're like, well, that really hasn't been a problem, you know, all year for us. And we, and we did a really good job. But that was – I was more worried about that than our six-on-six six defense, exactly some of the specifics that, you know, you, we might spend a lot of time on um, because I was like, I just – I see this being a problem. And, and I don't want to lose a big game like the national championship based off of, you know, a couple few things. And we spent more time that week getting our, our offensive middies, you know, on how we're going to drop, how we're going to, you know, kind of prevent their transition when, like I said, it wasn't really an issue – all season for us too much um but it was like i i don't feel good about this going into the game um as opposed to just kind of putting my head down and, and focusing so much on hey how are we going to stop this motion that they're running this play that they're running their offensive you know kind of personnel um while we did you know try to focus on that that ended up being more you know later in the week as opposed to you know those first couple days um so i've really tried to try to look 
you know, at, at things you might not see right away and, and what might be an issue for us um, in games. Um, and then additionally, I, I felt like I worked for a really good tactician at High Point that was good at this is what they're going to do. Let's try and take away their their one or two things, um, you know, and, and my coaching philosophy that it turned into to prevent that that hamster wheel spinning um, is I, I'd like to think I probably more than a lot of other coaches like I take the blame for bad things. I'll tell guys, hey, if they score this goal doing this, you can all look at me. You can point at me and say, coach, you screwed that one up, you know, and I say, yeah, I did, you know, and, and we've had to make some in-game adjustments based off of bad scouting on my end. But the good thing is the guys on the field are not looking at each other like, hey, why didn't you go? What You know, why didn't you get beat here? What's going on? The answer was clear, and it was like, Coach Garland screwed that one up. So now we were able to kind of put a, a plan together as opposed to that that crazy what's going on here, there, and, and everywhere else. So we uh, – did you think of your question? for coach Colfer. Um, yeah because uh, he wants to jump on something here but then i'm going to hand the mic to him so just to, to, to add tie that up i mean i think the the um three things that to me that coach Garling's talking about there is that he does well or that anyone can do well is is um is uh recognize potential problems before they are problems. I think he has a very good sense of that, right? Like, in, and, and maybe they're small, maybe they're big, and, and not be afraid to get out of it, not not wait for it to become an issue, right? Whether it be something in the locker room, whether it be something on the field, whether it be something X and O wise, I think he has a pretty good sense of that, which is I think is important in any organization, team, however you look at it. Uh, and um, the other thing is, um, there's two other things, it's, um, is don't be afraid to kind of screw up and, 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 and take ownership of that. You know, when he was talking about if you, if you, if you plot the course and the course isn't exactly right, uh, take ownership of it because I think the people below you will respect that that much more and, and they'll be bought in even though it wasn't exactly right. And the third thing that I think, you know, is important that he does well and that anyone can do well is, is ask the people that are reporting to you their opinion. Right, and I can think of moments throughout the season where he would engage with his players about what do you guys want to run? Do you want to stay here? You want to do this here? You want to go there? And and it would be in a timeout. It would be in a moment, and and they're on the field, they're doing it, but listening to that feedback uh, and and granting them that that wish sometimes, right? Not not always, but sometimes saying, yeah, okay, I think you're right. Let's do that. And I think that's important, right? So it's 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 the uh, the the combination of those three things. And I think we can apply it to, you know, Division Three college lacrosse in this sense. But I think those things are – they can go out into any organization or any entity about those things, about um, those three major takeaways that I hear in his answer. And I also think that they are, are strengths of his but also can be of any coach as they look to incorporate it into, into. – um, I think the greatest coaches are the ones that aren't afraid to fail and they're also not afraid to take input from – a lot of different areas uh, they don't feel threatened by it and they're ego, they're not egocentric uh, and uh, I think that's that's important in any coach's DNA I think those leaders are few and far between not just in coaching yeah yeah it's like that's like if you ask me what separates top one percent in any field from everyone else it's that intellectual curiosity and having the ego strength not to feel threatened mm -hmm. or feel fragile mm -hmm. by someone sharing those insights yeah I agree and Thank you. 
Yeah, my, my pleasure. We agree on something. <laughs> it's one of those rare moments. Coach Garland. It only took us 23 years. Yeah. You, <laughs> we are now shining the spotlight on you yeah. and Coach Colfer. You get to ask him your question now that you've been very pensively contemplating. Uh, so mine, I, I don't know how to phrase it in a question. It's more of a, a statement and something that we've talked about. Uh, previously, and it's something that I've learned quite a bit from Coach Colfer on this one. Are you talking about previously? So, like, my attempt to have you blindside your boss <laughs> after getting promoted like a week ago just failed. Uh, just harpooning, submarining this, this whole attempt here. Uh, Solid work. Um, he has to come back to work tomorrow. True. I guess that's true. But um, so the statement of, um, you know, my question comment is um, we talked about you know, younger coaches or, you know, younger professionals and how they want to, they want to build, you know, themselves or their program. Um, and obviously, you know, coach Culver took a, a younger, you know, a, a newer program and obviously built it into winning a, cha a championship last year. Um, but less of, or, you know, I guess my, my statement or whatever is, you know, going through how do you, you realize that being a head coach is not necessarily constantly saying, Hey, I need, you know, better players. I need this. I need that. But trying to find ways to build your program through the school of adding, you know, being able to add resources, going from working yourself in the admissions office with assistants that worked in the admissions office to now being in the athletics department, being able to hire, you know, a full time coach like myself um, and using that as your way to build a program as opposed to just thinking of, you know, hey, I struggle with admissions. I struggle here, like constantly looking at the the roadblocks as opposed to how do I make this roadblock no longer a roadblock? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, in the fact that um, you have to, you know, you have to take a, a short term and then, you know, a little bit of a long term approach and, and realize that, you know, sometimes athletic directors and vice presidents and presidents will say no, um, but you also can't be afraid to ask. And, and so, um, but workarounds, right? You know, basically there's a barrier in your way. What's, what's, a, what's, a, what's a reasonable workaround um, that not only doesn't take you in a very long, circuitous route, you know, to, the, to where you want to get, but one that maybe gets you to the same endpoint. Uh, and so like any, you know, you have to be creative too. I, I think that's something that as a head coach, I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm not a, the most analytical guy in the world. I, I tend to be, that wasn't my strengths academically. I tended to be, operate the, more on the creative side. And I think looking for creative outcomes, you know, is important and, and utilizing resources. And so my first assistant coaches here that you know, got on campus, I got them jobs in the facilities department, you know what I mean? And they were cutting grass and shoveling snow from 7 a.m. to 3, but I knew facilities was a department that was done at 3 o'clock. And oh, by the way, when did we start practice? 3.30. So that worked out well. You know, I didn't really think about, hey, I'm going to ask this guy to get up at 5.30 in the morning, you know, come in, work his tail off, and then come to two hours of practice and watch film. It was just a workaround. I had to be creative in creating solutions um, because I, I, I aspired to have our program look like what I was noticing other successful programs look like what were the elements that they had and what didn't we have and how do we get there uh and so you know my first couple assistants did that and then we were able to map a couple into the admissions office and then as we grew it over the way then we had one work in fundraising and think about like when you work at a small college or any small organization, I've had people work in facilities. I've had people work in admissions. I've had work people work in that um, 
uh, fundraising. I mean, the three critical areas of any successful athletic program is your facilities management, you're getting the students in, and then being able to support them when they're here. I mean, Those it's are three huge bridges on any campus. Yeah, Try in any organization. It's irony, you yeah. know. I mean, it wasn't the strategy by any shape. It was it it kind of how it was. But the the real answer to your question is is building a relationship with those people that were able to say yes before I needed to go ask them for something, right? So if you wait to build a relationship when you need something in life, there's a good chance you're not going to get what you want. But if you build a relationship before that, and then you show up with your hand out or, you know, an opportunity to ask for something, then you have a better chance of getting what you want. And so I think that was critical to not just showing up. And I see it all the time, sometimes even here and sometimes at other, where, you know, coaches are grousing and grumbling. They didn't get what they wanted. Well, they didn't get what they wanted because beforehand they hadn't set it up right. They hadn't gone out of that. They'd gone out of their way to set up a relationship to ensure a more likely or favorable outcome. Um, and um, and I think that 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 was imperative to doing those types of things. You know what I mean? It's just and I like to talk, as you well know, and I like to engage. And I could walk around campus all day and and happily meet and talk and 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 get to know people. And and you may think you go home that night thinking, what a non-productive day, right? Oh my God, I didn't sit at my desk. I didn't watch one second of film. I didn't do anything that I thought was really tangibly productive. But add that up over 20 years, you know, maybe those were some of my most productive days. You just didn't know it at the exactly, time. Exactly, yeah. you know, in hindsight. Yeah, so. it, it's funny because that's like, I look at it, we talked about earlier, the relationship bank account. And if you're thinking about going and asking for something, before you go and ask, like, calculate in your head, what are the, what are the odds? What's the percentage that the screen is going to flash? Transaction declined insufficient yeah. funds available right you didn't build enough relationship to get yeah. a yes right mm -hmm. and i think what you uh just mentioned about doing on campus is one of the most brilliant things i've ever seen done by a professional sports team and this is boston red sox every year uh right after the season's over their entire front office goes on a listening tour yeah a lot of years they take the world series championship yeah. trophy Ironic, with them isn't it yeah but uh they go to each of their minor league markets each of the kind of the quote major cities in their minor league markets and they just hold town hall meetings where they answer questions kind of like you're doing right now mm -hmm. they just answer questions of people and that's where they get some of their best ideas you know freezing ticket prices uh, having gluten-free menu options in the stadium what they can do with parking in that situation like so you get some of your best ideas just leading by walking around and listening. Because I love you're that you've done that. engaging your stakeholders, right? Yeah. I mean, those are your stakeholders, your fan base, your stake. You know, and then, and that's critical. Um, you know, uh, in terms of getting that feedback. Uh, yeah. So before we get too far away from this, like, so that was your boss's answer. I'm going to ask you to rate his answer on a scale of zero to ten. <laughs> How was that answer? Remember, recently promoted. Also. Uh, I mean, I, I always have a tough time giving a giving a ten out of ten. So I mean, I'd give him a nine out of ten. There, I thought it was, it was pretty spot on and something that, like I said, I've I've learned, you know, from him of taking the the long run, you know, of of not necessarily always looking. Hey, I got to jump to this school because they have A, B, and C, or this school because they have more resources. It's it's taking a little bit more of the long roundabout way of of building the resources the way you want at the place that you're currently at. And your proof that that's worthwhile 
You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, in this case, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of the next guy, if we're not fortunate enough to win it again next year, maybe there's a guy that comes in and he's two years at a university and circumstances is right. And, uh, I, you know, again, I, in this situation, this has been our approach and, it, and it's worked. And, and um, I think that's what made our journey and our the culmination of this championship just transcend our athletic department yeah. and, and, and transcend, you know, our program, our athletic department and so forth because of that story. And I think people connect to, to human interest stories. And there were so many human interest stories in this group last year. A bit of an underdog story, yeah, which absolutely. is incredibly relatable. We yeah. sell that, yeah. you know, we're going to continue oh, yeah. to sell that. I don't care about the one national champion. Yeah. We're still an underdog and our mentality and our approach and, you know, the way we have to do things. And, and that's, that's kind of what we'll always be. And, and, uh, uh, and, um, and I think, you know, again, that appeals to some, not all. Yeah. And, and people are going to walk away from that. They're going to opt out. Uh, and that's okay. You know what I mean? I'd rather have them opt out before we start this journey together than quarter of the way down or, or halfway around or three quarters of the way out because that's hard to repair those yep. um, losses in your culture, you know, in your foundation. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're kind of winding this down. I got one, uh, and the reason we're winding it down is I want to be respectful of your time, but mainly just because the battery and the recorder's dying. <laughs> uh, but so this is the most interesting thing for me about your journey, and I'm going to ask you to take the coach hat off, not speak in sound bites or fluent coaches, coach speak, uh, and not like your standard answer that you hear from a coach behind a microphone this fascinates me about you steve colfer okay um you've received coach of the year honors in your conference 13 of your 19 seasons and that's a bleep freaking insane number considering you've never lost to any any of the people voting on that award never how is that? Like, why does everybody freaking like you so much, man? <laughs> How's that even possible? That's insane to me. Ah, uh, that's why. I, I mean, I don't know. Be, 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 I was fortunate enough to be raised right, right? I was raised that, you know, look, people, someone said to me this year after one of our post games, you know, there's two types of people in the world. There's people that look through you and there's people that look at you. And he said, I would describe you as a person that looks at you, you know, which I thought was a great compliment. I'd never heard it said like that. Um, and I think that comes from, you know, how you're raised and, and, and what your expectation is from your earliest uh, yeah, but coaches, beginnings. Yeah, but coaches can be petty and yeah. spiteful, yeah. and we all know that. And, like, if you're getting your brains beaten in every year by that same dude, yeah, and it's not like there have been different coaches here, you're getting your brains beaten in by a conference opponent who's the same guy on the, on, you know, on the other side of the – substitution box every single game every single year well i'd like, like to think how do you respect for separate our program. like the actual game yeah. and the outcome from the relationship of that person and you know build that bridge off campus we've talked so much about building bridges on yeah. campus how are you building that bridge off campus with like opponents i mean it's engagement it's 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 talking to guys when you're out at professional development events it's when you're going to these national coaches conference and recruiting events like engage them and and look at them you know ask yeah. them how their program is and 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 what's going on and help them and 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 point them and share you know 
back in the old days, share car rides, you know, and save gas money. When yeah. we were young head coaches and you're riding with your, your biggest rival in conference and, and, and you're getting to know that person. And they're, they're very much like you and have the same issues and struggles and, and, and hopes and, and, and wants for their program. Um, and, um, but I think that that's critical in anything in life, you know yeah. what I mean? And so I think having, and obviously it means a lot to me, obviously, to have the respect of your peers, right? That That's that's huge. Um, that we are, uh, and again, I think the Coach of the Year Award really is the coaching staff of the year. I mean, I think yep. it's not just me. It's always the, it's the great assistance that I've had over the years. Um, I think that award really, you know, is it, there's more of them than there is me, right? Yeah, but you're and, the one piece of that continuity over those 19 years. Yeah, well, Coach Camp, Camp's been here too yeah. with me he's my uh he's my if any for the godfather fans he's my tom hagan you know he's the one who's going to go. uh give counsel and and give uh bounce ideas off and and are we headed in the right direction and he's yep. very unfiltered and and um and i think that's important and to have guys like you know you think about coach galling's opportunity to be here for a year as a young 22 23 year old kid go spend seven years other programs get mentored influenced seasoned and have the ability to come back i mean there's stories and stories of like that we've had guys coach here who i recruited as high school seniors juniors and seniors yeah. tell me no I'm not coming to play for you. I'm not opting into your story. Yeah. Graduate from another program and then come back and coach here for a number of years. Actually, Coach Carlin, I think, was one of those guys. You know, uh, ironically, as I'm looking at him. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, that to me is, means we're doing things the right way. We're leaving that door open. We've built a bridge for people to not only go across yep. but to come back across. Uh, so it's a two-way street. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's, that's, that's important no matter what you're doing in life. You know, everything doesn't have to be transactional and everything doesn't have to have an end point, you know. And that's poignant because we're nearing the end point. No, it's poignant <laughs> because it's such a transactional business. Right. Like you think corporate America is transactional? Holy shit. Spend right. a day in college or professional athletics. Yeah. What have you done for me? Lately and lately is timed with a freaking stopwatch, not a calendar or a yeah. sundial. Well, I think that's the economics of the business, yeah. which is we've all benefited from, you know what I mean, in that sense. But I think that's the reality of yep. it, it, that, you know, the, the amount of in the money that is around college athletics at every level um, and the ability for incomes to continue to rise and exposure and all these things, um, you know, makes pe makes it more of a transactional and, and more of a, a yep. uh, and we have to be careful that we don't um, lose sight of the people and the student athletes. And I think keeping center to my mission has always been, I view myself as an educator. You know, I, at first and foremost, I've always viewed myself as an educator um, and, um, and not then, a warehouse manager. No, not yet. I love not that yet, analogy. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, now we're going to turn the tables yet again, Steve Colfer. <laughs> this this table's got a lot of seats. Fi sides. Final question. Yeah. Final thoughts. Yeah. Deep thoughts by Steve Colfer. <laughs> now, what is the one question? This is your opportunity to shame me. What is the one question I didn't ask and I should have? Cue up the Jeopardy think music. Yeah. Uh, do, I, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've, we've talked a lot over the last uh, nine months. I mean, I, I don't know what areas of my life we haven't gotten into. I never really thought that. Um, I mean, it could have been, you know, I like to ask my freshmen when they come in, what do, tell me something I didn't know before you about yourself that I didn't know uh, before you walked in this office. And, 
you know, and I, I make, then they look at me and then they want to make, well, did you know I played football? Yeah, I know that. I read, you know, did you know that? Yeah, I have um, three brothers. Yeah, I know that. Like, those are all tell me something I didn't know, you know, and then they have to. And so you've never asked me anything around that. Steve so. Colfer. Yes. This is your life. Yeah. Tell us something we didn't know. Well, I'll go back and Coach Garling knows this because we played a game. What was the last I, I, year we played a game? I'm going to take it next level. Yeah. Tell us something we didn't know about you, but yeah. also that most of your family and friends don't know about you. Well, that's hard. But what I would say last year, I think we played two facts or two lies and a truth. And my truth was, you know, after that was I was a former runway model. And that ended up being the truth about me. It's much to the delight of my players you, and so forth now we know how you landed lauren <laughs> hi steve colfer so as a young boy and growing up in westchester pennsylvania my mother uh got you know rest in peace um was uh you know she came from immigrant parents who who didn't come to this country with much and we she they worked very hard and that mentality came with her and and um you know and she she you know, taught me a lot about that, but there was a local department store back when we had department stores in little small towns and younger generation don't even know what that is. But if you signed up to do like their monthly fashion shows, right? So you would, you, they need children's wear, you know, children's clothing. Don't, if you signed up to do that and were a model, you got to keep the clothes that you wore. So they'd have these shows and that I was part of and whatever outfits that, uh, that, um, and they would be in church gyms or they'd be in, you know, fire halls or wherever in town. And I would wear these clothes and, and come out and do a little catwalk. Cat Were you walk. able to turn left on the runway? <laughs> I believe so. Unlike Derek Zoolander? <laughs> uh, yeah. And so that's, that's my, uh, that's my former you, modeling career. Do you have a patented look? Like Blue Steel? I, I Zoolander at Blue just, Steel? I think right? it was... Uh, embarrassment mixed with a little anger mixed with like let's get this over with as quick as we can and, and get home he looks so cute oh yeah we call that look full diaper <laughs> <laughs> the amazing thing is this is exactly how my last podcast interview ended yes talking about the fact that we we're talking about modeling but it was my dog sorry my <laughs> wife's dog is a professional model there you go so you share something in common with QuincyTheModel.com. Um, he has I, his own website. I appreciate that. You can follow him on Instagram. Who's who runs the Instagram for Cabrini Lacrosse? Combination. Yeah, we have a. You we should have a follow full media team. You should follow at QuincyTheModel. Yeah. We'll do. Uh, anyway, thanks for uh, having us here. Looking forward to the afternoon and this evening. Yes. Hall of Fame. As we are. And uh, thanks everyone for being here. It's uh, almost lunchtime. I appreciate you coming back to Cabrini. I mean, um, John, so people obviously know John's career now, but he started as an assistant coach here back uh, when the early days of this program. And um, when we, I came on as an assistant um, with Coach Scarpello, we had the opportunity to, uh, I think at that point you were at, at Farmingdale State maybe, yep. at, which was a powerhouse JUCO at the time. Uh, and, and, got to know John and and, and and him helping us try to send a few of his players our way uh, and helping us build some relationships up in um, Long Island at the time and, and uh, really got this thing. So his impact not only as an early coach here 
but then also after he had moved on and continuing to give back to this program and then having the opportunity last year to kind of see it come full circle, come in and speak to uh, our team the night before the national championship is awesome. The so, night before you won the national championship. Yeah, the night which before Which I predicted we, before the season started did. when you yes. wanted to get me to talk yes. to you. I'm like, I'll just come talk to you the yeah. night before you win the title. That, that is true. Oh, we're going to do that? Yes, you are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I take true. full credit. I gave you so, my ring size, right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Okay, I'm still yeah. waiting for that. Um, <laughs> he thinks I'm kidding. Yeah, I know. You can make that happen. You're the associate <laughs> head coach. So uh, fun fact as we wind this down uh, for real yeah. is my favorite Steve Colfer moment was uh, talking about like Long Island and recruiting. There was one coaches convention, Long Island coaches convention, and a certain Division One coach uh, I forget which year it was. It was like 97, 98 maybe. Uh, spent a large portion of his clinic talk explaining how he uses TV timeouts. Yes. And uh, Coach Colfer, like, so this guy was uh, arguably one, and this is before most teams are on TV. It was like the Notre Dame football contract yeah. for – college football so um this guy spent a lot of time talking about that why so everyone knew his team was on tv and no one else's was um but the way i looked at that day was he was the opening act and steve colfer at cabrini this is before cabrini was on the national scene or as national shall i say uh, was steve was the headliner and he gave his clinic talk and the first thing he did was he walked up there and think about like how much of a pair of cojones this takes. <laughs> he walked up there and said, oh, guys, uh, I'm not going to stand here and talk to you about how to use TV timeouts. I'm actually going to give you practical information that hopefully maybe you can take and use with your program. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, drops, Mike <laughs> walks off. Holy shit, that was awesome. I don't know that I'd have had the stones to do that. But for me, that was like you saying, yeah, we're here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, – I don't remember. Uh, I kind of remember the day. I don't. Rem I do remember part of that story. But, and you remember uh, who, was, who was the opening act I, for I you? I pretty much do, yeah. So now I'm going to ask you. No. <laughs> Memorial Day weekend. How would yeah. you use your TV timeouts? <laughs> I don't even know. If, I don't know. Well, first of all, there, I, here's the thing that's going to be on my tombstone, right? Uh, there's two things. Hmm? Here's the guy who lays, who died with two timeouts in his pocket and also <laughs> couldn't recruit a second-line midfielder, right? I've always said that, right? Like, I always felt like every year we lost was like, if we just had two or three more guys to play on that second line, we, we, we would have won the championship. And then the alums were always like, why didn't you call that timeout? Like, why are you holding that? And I'm like, you know, over the course of time, maybe that just needs to go down, you know, that's who I am. The guy that died with two timeouts in his pocket. And, and a TV uh, timeout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, um, so appreciate you having us here. We're calling timeout now. And by timeout, I mean this thing's over. Goodbye. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Everybody, see you later. And uh, if you want more information beyond this podcast, you can go to coachbrew.com. And when you go to coachbrew.com, you have an opportunity to opt into the Daily Brew, which is my daily e-newsletter, which Steve Colfer is wise enough to subscribe to and occasionally reads. By occasionally, I mean monthly. Coach Garling, you should opt in. Uh, when you opt in to the Daily Brew, you also receive a complimentary download of my premium 
uh, yesterday's underdog monthly newsletter. Yesterday's underdog is my membership community, uh, which Coach Haas and Coach Adam Todd were wise enough to invest in the early days and find great value from. I would let them tell you all about how much value they derive from it, but we're short on time. So just, is it worth it, Adam? Was it worth your investment? Absolutely. Carl, how worth your investment was it, or is it? Is that the hidden recurring charge that keeps showing up on my credit <laughs> Yours and hopefully many, many more people who uh, are listening to this. So, yeah, go to coachbrew.com where you can get that and tons of other fabulous content. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Coach Brew Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to coachbrew.com now.